Hi guys, and welcome to this episode of How to Wow, starring the one and only Sir Rod Stewart. I can't believe it. I can't wait. I've heard it. I did the interview and I still can't wait. And brought to you by M&S Plant Kitchen. M&S Plant Kitchen launched in 2019 when their first vegan-friendly range took the meat-free world by storm. Exactly. And now, my friends, there are 100 plant kitchen products to choose from, which is excellent news for my family. As back in March, my wife, Tequila Tash, and I decided to go all-in plant-based. We were in Los Angeles running our very own made-up marathon as we were due to run the Tokyo Marathon, which was cancelled due to, well, you know what. But we'd done the training, I'd booked the time off work, and we had arranged, we had arranged extensive international childcare. You see, the thing is, eating plant-based in California has traditionally been much more of a thing than here in the UK. But that's all changing, and changing at a pace. Da-da-da! Introducing the M&S Plant Kitchen. No chicken nuggets. They look like chicken. They smell like chicken. They're finger-licking like chicken, and they taste like chicken. At least as far as I can remember. It's been a while. But hey, don't take my word for it. Cut to my second eldest son, Eli, in the Evans plant kitchen. Eli, what's going on with the no chicken nuggets? Oh, they look like chicken, they smell like chicken, and they taste like chicken. Oh, they must be chicken. Oh, no, they're not chicken. Told you. And he's had actual chicken a lot more recently than me. But that story's for another day. Sticking with the no chuck chuck chicken now, there's also the delicious, and I mean mouth-meltingly delicious No Chicken Kiev. M&S Plant Kitchen's most successful vegan launch ever, with one being sold every four minutes. There's probably one outside your window right now. Take a look. Largely because of their indulgent garlic filling waiting to explode in your mouth underneath that coating of crunchy golden breadcrumbs. I want one now. And then there's the kiddies' favourite plant kitchen cauliflower popcorn, which we paid our kids in to do this. Plant kitchen. I think it could be a hit. Other scrummy treats include PK posh hot dogs, PK green Thai curry, and the to die for PK coleslaw salad, the first ever vegan coleslaw to hit supermarket shelves in the UK. Wow. Talking of wow, it's time now to how to wow. Thank you, MNS Plant Kitchen, for helping make this show happen. Rod, where are we? By the way, thanks, thanks for inviting us around. Where are we exactly? We are in good old Essex near Harlow, a place called Shearing, which is where I live. And at the moment, we're in Rod Stewart's gym, which is an enormous place, and it's, uh, it's covered in Celtic shirts and Celtic memorabilia. And as we speak, Chris and I are looking out over a wonderful AstroTurf football pitch. Okay, so um, before we go into what's outside the pitch and why it's there, and your involvement in some amazing, fantastic grassroots football things, what's going on with your ankle? Um, well, first of all, it was my knee, you know, because I've played football all my life, as, yep. as you know. And I'm suffering for it now. But I have to add, I would never change anything. So my knee got fixed with a replacement. So then the ankle didn't know what was going on because obviously it's it's crooked because of the knee. So now I've had to have the ankle done. So when this is all done, uh, I should have a nice straight leg and be able to run and then I'm going to get my knob done. (laughs) (laughs) 
What's wrong with your knob? It's <laughs> right in my own business. Um, I was going to talk about the fact you're 75 and I'm 54, but sometimes I look at you and you look 54 and I feel and look 75. I agree there. Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> Don't blame me, by the way. Um, just because you've always, you have always looked after yourself. It's a great I mean, interview, isn't it? Yeah. Don't, I was expecting nothing less, by the way. <laughs> this, is what, this is what we came for. It's what the petrol money was for. But, um, you know, you, you have always looked after yourself. You've parted, um, you know, but the first time I talked to you properly was on TFI years and years ago. And I think back then you were a couple of years older than I am now. Not that I'm obsessed with this no. age thing at all. Mm-hmm. And I remember because you, you, you tore it up that night, but you know when to and when not to, don't you? And you always have. Yeah. Um, and I thank football for that because I've played all my life, as you know. Um, and I know when to stop because I've got to get out and play on Sunday mornings. Almost Sometimes I have overdone it and been up until five o'clock taking cocaine and what have you, but it's a rarity. So that's that's gotten me through life to keep myself fit for football. Yeah. And I still, as you can see, keep myself fit and yeah. work at it. And vocally, the same thing. You always looked after your voice, didn't you? Oh, my God, like it's the crown jewels. I mean, we were recording all this week. It takes me about half an hour to warm up, get the voice ready. And then more importantly to all you young singers out there is to warm the voice down. And I've found now I can do four or five concerts on the trot if, if I want to, two hours every night. Right, because you, you st- you've always given it all the beans on stage, haven't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Am I missing it now? <sighs> I've got no idea. I would I would actually do concerts for nothing now. Yeah. If I could just pay the band, I've said to the band, I'll try and pay you a little bit. But if I could get out there and just do for, for nothing, yeah. that's how much I love it. Because I was watching loads of old footage yesterday. Was I old? You know, whatever I could get lay my hands on of yours, and it was so, it was so exciting to watch. I know you're sitting in front of me now, and I don't want to sound like I'm blowing smoke at Ross, and I really don't. But like watching you, you know, it's, it's some of the uh, faces concerts, some of those concerts in the early '80s in America, mm. and you're just I mean, talk about 110%. But there's no other way to do it, really, is there? No, there's not. It's, um, you know, I don't jump as much about as much as I used to. But one thing I do know, I'm a better singer now than I was in those days. Um, you know, it's just age catches up with you. So I, I can't leap up onto the sound system yeah. and jump over the piano and neither can Elton. But you are, <laughs> you never could. You never could, yeah. <laughs> but you're five years off, off the big eight oh, so 76 in Jan. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel? Magnificent. I must admit, I, um, I'm embarrassed to say I'm happy every day I wake up. I really have a down day. Um, I've got a wonderful wife, wonderful kids, two youngsters that are just, oh, I love them so much. Uh, it makes me cry. Um, so if life is good, and it should be. I mean, look at the surroundings. That's why COVID has been a distant thing for me because we keep ourselves here. Yeah. And have you ever not gigged live for as long as this? No. You've had quiet years, but never as long as this? Never as long as this, no. Right. March uh, last year. Uh, March this year, and the next time I'll play, if with a bit of luck, and I can't really see it, will be March in Vegas next year. So this is all a, a long way, because you, you eat up the stage now, you always have done, a long way from, is it true you hiding behind the amp stack the first time the Faces played in the US? Is that a true story? <laughs> yeah, it was. It wasn't the Faces. It was the Jeff Beck group. Oh, sorry. Jeff. Yeah, 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 we were, 
I remember flying over to America and thinking, you know, the first time, you know. So when you arrived there, I remember getting on the jumbo jet. They'd only just come out. So it was like the late 60s. And I thought, this thing's not going to take off. Christ. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the first gig we did with the Jeff Beck group, which was me and Ronnie Wood and Jeff, yeah. um, was at the Fillmore East and we were supporting um, uh, Grateful Dead. Oh, that was it, wow. Grateful Dead. And we blew them off the stage, really. But to answer the question, yeah, I was so nervous that I thought we're going to go out there. So I've always tried to sound like Sam Cooke and, and, and sound like a black singer all my life, you know. I thought I'm going to be found out. There's going to be lots of black people sitting there going, fake, you're a fake. <laughs> of course, it was a load of hippies, you know, when I eventually came from behind the, uh, the, uh, the rack of amps. Jeff said, come on, you can come out now. So I came out and started singing. It was all a load of hippies. But is that a myth? Is it a myth that you had a glug of brandy, somebody passed you a glass of brandy and you took a slug of that and that got you out front or not? No, Woody and I used to have our little bags back behind the amps with all our stuff in it. Right. You know, bits <laughs> and pieces, towels and, uh, and uh, yeah, but we always had a bottle of something with us. And the Grateful Dead, you know, they, they invented the Wall of Sound. They invented the Marshall Stack system. Yeah, you know, yeah. And so you blew, you blew the people who invented the Wall of Sound off the stage. Not volume-wise. Right. Just... America had never seen anything like this. I mean, this is this is uh, me singing, Jeff playing guitar, and Ronnie playing bass, and Mickey Waller on the drums, and Nicky Hopkins on piano. What a lineup! They'd never seen Chicago blues being given back to them, fed back to them. Right. You got to remember this is before Led Zeppelin. Of course, the Stones were big then. Yeah. But this was us coming. And they'd never seen anything like it, especially a couple of tarts like me and one at Woody, <laughs> all dressed up in, you know, like Lurex and God knows where with high bouffant hair. Were you were you faking it till you till you made it, or did you have an idea of what you were doing at the time? No, I just I've said this very often. I, I and I think all the people that grew up and performed around the same time, we had no idea. We didn't want to be particularly rich. We just wanted to to do what we loved, which was play our music. Had no idea of I want to be famous. Never really entered our minds. I mean, I I, I think I truly speak for everybody else of that era. And um, what I find extraordinary, you know, about your story, well, loads of it to be honest. Um, but you you had a a very very normal childhood, and you you have gone on to lead a, a lead a very extraordinary life. And you also famously had a very happy childhood. So you know, happy kids beget happy kids for themselves because you know you love your family. You just teared up just mentioning yeah, your youngest yeah. there. You know, I mean, and and so. So, you know, and you were hiding behind the amplifiers when playing uh, with the Jeff Beck group. And then you were reluctant to sing vocals anyway and go out front and you weren't quite sure about anything. You, your dad bought your guitar, but, you know, where, was there a moment? Was it like, did something, were you visited in the night and changed by someone or something? It was a, it was a, it was a progress. But going back to, to my family, it, we had a wonderful, wonderful close-knit family. Didn't have much money, but... Um, my brothers, two of my brothers still alive and, and my sister, mum and dad are gone and I've lost a sister. But they're both 92, 91 and 85. <laughs> and my brother Don comes up here and works out. It's amazing. Wow. But it was a, a loving family. I mean, it really was. Um, uh, my dad bought me my first guitar. 
because I really wanted a, a station for me railway, and he bought me a guitar. I think he said, so there's a bit of money in this, son. He was in the Lonnie Donegan days. Yeah. But um, the turning point was when I was a beatnik and uh, down on Brighton Beach and I was playing all the early Bob Dylan stuff off the first album mm. and people were gathering around and listening and I thought, hello, something going on here. I must be doing something right and it progressed from there. So that was so that was Brighton but there was Leicester Square and there was Paris as well. Was that all part of the same time? No, the, the, when I busked around Spain and Paris, that was before. Right, okay. Yeah. And was there a scene in Brighton at the time? Well, you know, for, for the so-called beatniks, yeah, we used to go down there for the weekend and sleep on the beach and, uh, you know, in sleeping bags and under deck chairs. I've actually got some pictures of it, believe it or not. Was it cool? Did you feel cool? Yes. Tell me more about that. Well, <laughs> this would be hard to believe, <laughs> listeners, but in those days, the smellier you were, the more of a genuine beatnik you were. So we never used to wash because that was always part of the charade, you know. Right. Um, but that, that of course, is where my eldest daughter came from because I had a, a loose winkle one weekend and yeah. uh, my, my, my daughter Sarah was born. She's now, I think, 59. <laughs> well, this is what happens, isn't it? We all yeah. get older. See, when you got, let me tell you, my friend, with a loose winkle, you can get in a lot of trouble. Yeah, by the way, your winkle might be working better than both of us yeah. put together. There's a third person here, by the way. There's a third person here, by the way. Um, so uh, I think about you, I like, I've always liked you, not that it matters, but I think you're such an inspiration. I think you're a fucking t total, absolute pro. Um, like I say, you always give it all the beans, you know. Mm. And even watching old grainy footage, it's so raw, it's so fucking good, yeah. you know. And see, seeing you stadiums since then, TV shows, radio studios, just, just so cool to be around somebody who really has always loved. And I don't know whether you've always been grateful for what you do because we all have our moments. But, but you bear in mind, you seem to bear in mind how lucky you are. And if you take that with you, it's like rocket fuel, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's. I mean, I've come from more or less nothing to, to being an extremely wealthy man. <laughs> wonderful houses, yeah. and I thank the public. Yes. But I've seen both sides of the glass. You know, I've known what it's like to be poor. Mm. And it's wonderful that you make it and you become wealthy and you can buy wonderful things like that Lamborghini out there. And you appreciate it more as opposed to being, for instance, born into the royal family. Mm. They've never known poverty. Yeah. They've never known what it's like to just have a couple of meals a day. And so it, that's how much I appreciate it. Yeah, and it's funny, isn't it? Because I think people... And even my kids, I talk to my kids about it. You know, I said, you have everything you want. You have your own football pitch out there. You've got everything, your own indoor swimming pool. I never had any of this. So, and they say, oh, tough shit, that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a funny conversation to have, though, isn't it? It is. They just can't get it into their heads. No, and you fear for them in one way. Yeah, yeah. So, so how have you tried to counteract that? Because I've talked to a lot of successful people about this, you know, that came from nothing, you know, and it's not it's not our fault we came from nothing. It's not our mum and dad's fault we no, came from nothing. Of not. You know, we haven't won the lottery. We worked really hard. You know, we've had lots of luck along the way. The stars aligned and all that kind of stuff. And it's also not our kids' fault that they have been no. born into something. And it, it's, a, it's a very tricky tightrope to walk, yeah. isn't and it? That's what it is. I always say it's a fine line between uh, a spoiling and depriving, yeah, you know, and it, sometimes I go on the side of spoiling, right? Uh, but Penny always pulls me back, you right? Know? And you've got to remember, I've got eight children, 
And yeah. I have to be a different father, more or less, to all of them because the age group is so wide. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I always think about when I think about you is your hair. Right. Barnet, fucking great hair. Still great hair. <laughs> Please, do you have any numbers that you can give me? <laughs> no. What? What's so? The, your hair first became a feature in in your mod days, I would imagine. Would it be sister back home? Yeah, yeah. I used to back sugar home, and yeah. water. Sugar and water. If people don't know what we're talking about. What was the what was the routine? Well, it's because there was no hair lacquer, and if there was, it was hard to find. Mm. You know, and it was it wasn't cheap so me and my mates we all had the same barnets we would back comb it and it was a buffon and we got it from guys in paris guys in paris were having this look right so we'd um we'd put uh, sugar and water on it to make it hold up yeah and i remember it like it was yesterday we all had the same haircuts and we'd all go from we're all north londoners so we'd go down to the west end and we'd have to get on a tube at highgate station and if you ever know when you go down the escalator and there's a train coming in the updraft is enormous. Yeah. And so we'd all, all go down to the platform <laughs> holding our hair, making some, it was just hilarious. So, and that uh, hairstyle has stayed with me to this very day. Well, um, it used to be enormous, you know, it was right up here. It was, I mean. Dusty it, Springfield. What do they call it? Well, it's not depth, they call it something else, don't they? But, um, but has it, did it ever threaten to leave? No, it hasn't. It hasn't. I mean, that's, yeah. that's you know, yeah. that is, you're a lucky ducky. Yeah, I might go and find out why. I think probably because it gets so man, so much manipulation, that, that it's the roots are so, you know, I'm always doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Farting about with it. Okay. How's the tea? All right. Tea's great, by the way. Um, so were you all, because you're always doing the hokey-cokey with bands in the beginning. You know, were you always, you know, a solo artist, even though you have a band, of course. But were you always a solo artist going through the motions of being in a band? Was it? Were you always going to end up on your own? So far from it. Right. So far from it. I was. I was. I was happy being in the Jeff Beck group because I'm. I'm one, of, I'm one of the lads. I like being in a band. You know, uh, I was in the Faces for the same reason, and um, it was only because you know Ronnie Lane, Ronnie Wood left, that the band broke up. I think we were breaking up before that. I think Mick had his eye on uh, Ronnie for quite a while. But no, I would have stayed in the band forever. Really? Yeah. And then Faces after that? Yeah, that is the Faces, yeah. Sorry, sorry Faces. Pay attention. Jeff Beck. No, no, you said Jeff Beck first of all. Yeah, because when and he was faces. in both bands, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. confusing. See, well, it is confusing. We've had this conversation before and you, you had a go at me then. It's like, it's <laughs> fucking confusing talking to you about bands because it's Faces, small faces, yard birds, birds. Fucking, it's a nightmare, yeah, frankly. Yeah, um, But so uh, Faces... There was there was a there was conflict there though, wasn't there? Because you did you did a bit of both for a while. Yeah, I, I joined the band and was really happy. I love the guys, you know. Uh, but then Mercury Records came along and offered me a solo career, and I think I ran it by the guys, and they all said, "Yeah, go for it," you know. And just so happens that Maggie May came along with the second album. And do you think do you think you had third tra album traction in America uh, because because of the Jeff Beck band because you went out there and you. Because you, you punked it up, didn't you? you? You threw it, like you said, you threw it right back at them. But yeah, and Jeff Beck was an extraordinary guitar player. Oh, brilliant. And you know, did he draw the attention first? And that he was the heat. And you know, don't get me wrong. You know, there were three pillars to the temple. But absolutely, he was um, because he'd been with the Yardbirds. He'd been there before. Mm. So when we went out there, in fact, it got to such a point um, we came off the stage in Detroit and. Uh, Someone came up to to me and said, uh, 
Jeff, this is uh, this is a really great band, and you got a fabulous guitar there. So I thought I was Jeff Beck because I was a singer, <laughs> or was it the other way round? I don't remember, but there was confusion. And um, and you 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 obviously I don't know if you fell in love with America, but you liked it because you moved there pretty early on, didn't you? Seventy four, seventy five, seventy five. Yeah, that was because of the Harold Wilson government and the outrageous taxation system. So were you already earning pretty decent money then? Um, yeah, I was. You right. know. Yeah, of course. And because uh, the first proper paycheck was from Long John, wasn't it? That's yeah, I was on thirty pound a week there, where a good wage was twenty pound a week. Remember, it used to be a thousand pound a year. Right. Oh, God, that's such a long time ago. What was the first thing you bought of any substance with your thirty-five pound a week wage? I can't remember. I mean, I was always clothes mad. Right. And I always wanted to have a sports car, pull the birds. Yeah. So I think I saved up to uh, to get myself a Triumph Spitfire. Trying to spit for a mark, what would it have been, mark three then or something, wasn't it? Yeah, mark yeah. Three. I mean, they all look the same anyway. No, they don't. No, don't. They, they don't. don't. No, the mark two and three have the fins at the back. And the oh, you're such an expert. I'm so, not, no, mate. I'm not. I'm just, that was my first my first ever car was a mark three yeah. spitfire. What are you driving now? Now I'm driving, um, it's outside, it's outside your house, a 1989 Bentley Continental. Oh, lovely. Which lovely. I bought from Jules Holland. Really? Yeah. What happened to my Enzo? Did you sell it on or did you get it for someone else? Uh, sold it on. They're worth over a million now. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the way it is, isn't it? My Lamborghini Mura, the iPad, it's a Lamborghini that I bought in 1971 <laughs> for six and a half thousand pounds, just went for one million point two. All my kids go, why didn't you hold on to it? I didn't know, you know. Was that the yellow one? Yellow one, yeah. Was that the Annabelle's one or Tramp one? Uh, that was the Tramp one, yeah. There's a story about that. It's, yeah, it's yeah. in the book. Down the M4. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, what was the first house you bought in Los Angeles? Um, let me see. The first house I bought in Los Angeles was a place called on Carrollwood Drive. Yeah, yeah, fairly big mansion. And 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 you know, with with what was it? It was the essence of like Laurel Canyon and the sixties. I know it was mid seventies, but it was such, such there was such heat there. Was it still around? Could you still feel that heat? In what respect? Well, it was you know the mood, the vibe. Because I always think the 70s, I mean, you know, I was around, but I was very little at the time. But looking back, I was thinking the 60s was the party and, you know, the 70s was like, you know, what do we do now? Yeah. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't feel like that. I thought the 60s, you weren't there, the 60s were the breaking point because everything was different. Music was new. The sexual outlooks were new. Culture was all new. Clothes yeah. were new. The 60s were the, were the turning point. Yeah. Um, the seventies for me were very successful years, but I didn't. Really, I don't, I'm not sure as I know. Who's that? Oh. Uh, I'm not sure as I know what you mean about the heat. What did you the heat from the sixties? You know, because because that, that was the explosion. You just talked about it. Yeah. You know, and then things seemed to. Well, you know, Elton went out there, didn't he? And do you think being in America in the seventies was so important for your career? Because it was so different to. to in Britain in the 70s, wasn't like you said, Wilson, yeah. you know, three day week, common market, yeah. you know, and punk had to, punk had to, punk had to come along and sort it all out. Yeah, bashes all overhead, it certainly did. What was it like looking back at your homeland from, from over the Atlantic? Yeah, I didn't really, I missed it, but I missed, you know, just my family and, and me football, really. Right. Otherwise, I loved it out there. I mean, I was getting shag rotten and. <laughs> And the weather was was beautiful. Found a football team to play in, so I had it all. Yeah, you know, and I didn't really want to come back. You know, did it? I mean, I always think, you know, again, the states. 
people say, you know, some people say I don't like, I don't like America. It's, that's not a statement. There will be part of America you like so fucking big. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but also, I just think the outlook is bigger. I think the way people talk, you know, it's louder. I just think that's because it's a bigger place. There's a certain rhythm to the way they speak. You know, it's not, they're not so much on shoulders. The chest seems to be open. And I think the music, especially in the 70s, was like that. It was big, it was orchestral, there were harmonies, it was all layered. Did you, do you think your music literally became bigger then? Well, but Chris, that's a bloody good question. I don't know how to answer it. I mean, I'm, I, I just ploughed on the way I ploughed on because I moved there in 75. So what I did in 71, 72 was Maggie May, Work Well, and then I went out there and I still sort of made the same, the music, nothing influenced me. Right. Other than the great it, black singers of the, of, of the 60s and 70s. But the, the, the American music didn't influence me at all. But environment always influences everyone. No, I can't, I can't say that. American music did influence me, but the black side of American music. Right. Otherwise, the white bands that were making music, I can't think of any of them I would have listened to because most of them had useless singers. But if you look at, like, the paintings of Hockney, right? So yeah. when he lived in California, you know, they're very optimistic because California is a very optimistic place to live in. Not for everyone, but, you know, from an environmental point of view, you know, it is, it is, it is wall-to-wall blue sky every fucking day. Yeah, it's very youthful. Yeah, and there's this ambient temperature and it's very outside. Yeah. yeah. And so even though you may not think that's, you know, I'm not telling you, I'm not, I'm not saying anything, but just, I'm just saying... It, it, d it does get into your bones and then that, that will come out with whatever you, you're doing creatively. <laughs> I've got a fucking clue what you're talking about here. No, it didn't because I'm British and I, I believed in the way I made music when I was living here and it continued when I was over there. But, yes, it's a beautiful place to live. Yeah. And I don't like people that put it down, you know. You know I, 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 I love America. I don't love the, the, the president. But I love America. It's made me, uh, I've lived there, I still live there. It's made me a very wealthy man. I feel love there. Yeah. So um, I won't have anybody put down the United States. He's one of my heroes, Hockney. Have you met him? Yeah. Funnily enough, I used, um, when I was living in Holland Park, he used to live upstairs to me and a girl called Jenny Rylance, who became Steve Marriott's wife. Right. And he used to live upstairs because they both came from Manchester. So I actually... She had a Hockney, but she married Steve Marriott. Yeah. Yeah. He used to live upstairs. Did you ever go and hang out with Hockney in California? No, nah, no. Nah, I've never met him. I never even oh. saw him. All she used to say, you know, Hockney's upstairs. He's a fucking dude. Is he? Oh, man. He's such... I got stuck in... Stuck. I got stuck in a corner of a house party once with him and Lucy and Freud. One of the best nights of my life. Really? Bar none. Yeah. And I've always wanted to interview him. When I worked at the BBC, um, it, it could have happened, but he wouldn't... He he wouldn't have a he wouldn't agree to an interview where he couldn't smoke. He's a very enthusiastic smoker to this day. Oh my god! Well, I don't know what to say about that. Can we focus on me now? Please? <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right then. <laughs> um, so yesterday, watching this documentary about you, uh, one of many that I watched, and it was all it was great to do. It's a great. I got lost in, in I got lost in Rodland, and uh, I didn't realise because I was I, I was considered such a confident person that that you were wobbled by the press in the eighties, and you gave this great interview um, where you said, what, "What's the album where you've got the boater on?" You know, tonight's tonight. Tonight's tonight. Yeah. And you said, "I didn't realise, but I wasn't the person the press were describing for years and years and years." But somehow I then became that person. How did that happen? Oh, you... it's, it's simple, just believing all my own hype. Right. You know, I'd, I'd, 
moved uh, in 1975, I met Britt Eklund. Yeah. International film star, Bond girl, mm. fell in love. I was Jack the Lad. Who wouldn't be? Mm. You know what I'm saying? I was Jack the Lad and I was believing all the hype. People used to say, well, they're the new Burton and Taylors. And I believed it. And I think uh, I thank the press for knocking me back down again. And when did when did you realise that was the case? And how was it a night out with a pal? There's somebody, you know, standing up against the wall. Was it boiler? Was it who who might? No, 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 no one. When you're like me, no one's going to tell you what to do. They're all a little. I wish they would sometimes. No, it was just a self self realisation moment. I've lost it. What am I becoming? And she was even putting makeup on me, although it was fashionable at the time. <laughs> I said, my, my dad went mad. He said, what do you do? You've still got eye makeup on. It's the morning, you know, when I'd come back here to visit. So I, then I suddenly went, hold on, I'm, an, I'm a North London boy, loves playing football, loves a pint. What are you doing wearing makeup? So that may have been the changing point. Was, and was that a moment in the mirror? Was it out with your mates? No, it wasn't in the mirror. It was in the sun, actually, and it was in the express as well. Right. <laughs> very good. Got very good, here, very good. <laughs> yeah. No, but no, what, no what, it wasn't a look in the mirror, mate. Was, was there an epiphany? one morning, I thought, oh, well, you've made a complete Charlie yourself. Right. Because everybody, even the music papers that were, had been up until then, mm. so good to me, but they hated it when I moved to America and fell in love with a Hollywood uh, a, a star. Right. But, but it was a right laugh as well at the same time. Of course it was, looking back on it now, you yeah. know, the criticism I got for recording, to think I'm sexy? And it's still on the radio. It's still on every headline yeah. that you read about me. You know, my my dear wife was in the paper today because she's brave enough to take pictures of her weight loss. She's she's lost three stone. And she took pictures and, and posted it and they picked it up. And the headline was, do you think I'm... Slimmer or something like that, some do you think I am. So th that song has been like a lavatory seat around my head ever since. Yeah, but we people love it. They love it. We played on the radio this morning. So yeah. Sounds, sounds oh, you great. Did? Yeah, so we did an hour and a half today. It represented a, uh, an era. Yeah, it? I mean, was it audacious to write that song, do you think? Because you, you talked about it in the time, you mitigated it at the time by saying, well, it's third person. It's like, this is why you used to like me because you, you said to the music press, you know, I, I used to write about, you know, about people in the third person. I used to take a, a feeling, an emotion. I used to write around that and you fucking love that. You said those songs were edgy. Well, this is the same thing. It's just about a different subject. Yeah, and it was it was the dreaded disco beat. You know, that didn't help with that yeah. song either. But as I just said, people love it. People still love it. It represents an era. Uh, and I don't mind singing it. You know, there's other <laughs> songs I'd rather sing, but I'm there to make the people happy. And that's what I do. But it ended up making a load of money for charity, didn't it? That song? Yeah, yeah. Well, I got caught nicking, stealing, plagiarism. So I nicked it. I came back from Brazil. Right. Uh, well, you know, they have the festival every year yeah, in yeah. February. They all dress up. And uh, I was with Elton and, uh, and Freddie Mercury. We were all down there having fun. And this song entered my mind. <laughs> so six months later, I'm in the studio. I go, I've got this good idea. It wasn't purposeful. You know, I didn't do it on purpose, but I decided to give all the money to uh, UNICEF. Okay. And so did the guy that wrote it, which was most decent of him. Very decent. Called, I think his name is Jorg Bang or something like that. Well, top man. What about you and Elton and Freddie? Yeah. What the fuck yeah. happened Teeth, there? nose and hair. Jesus Christ, what were those nights like? Those were great nights, mate. I don't know if we were kidding each <laughs> other about forming a band, 
But it just shows what little cocaine and alcohol will do. <laughs> Did you ever have a sing, sing along together? Yeah, we used to have sing alongs. Yeah, yeah, quite a lot because everyone was living there. Yeah, yeah. Queen had rented a house in Bel Air. Yeah. Elton was living there. I was living there. And can't uh, remember any of them, but I have pictures up in the loft. <laughs> but they're the best years. I mean, I didn't yeah. never, never got anywhere near, didn't scale the heights of hedonism anywhere near what you did, but I can't remember most of the 90s. No, I can't. I remember, I, really I know it was good. I don't even remember it was good, but I know it was good. Yeah, Because yeah. something inside me is telling me. Because you don't want to do it now. You, you don't. Because you'd already done it. You've done it. Yeah, it's done. out of the system. Yeah, it's out of the system, mate. We've joined the old pipe and slipper club now. <laughs> yeah. Nice pipe, nice slippers, though. Yeah. Um, how was Elton at the time? Have you seen the film Rocket Man? Have you watched it? Yeah. How great is that film? I loved it. You, you were there though, so like, it's as close well, as we, we can get. We, we don't talk to each other anymore. I mean, big falling out, but you know, it, it, it was okay. I just wished it hadn't have been a musical. Right. Um, no, I don't mean that. I mean the dancing outside the council house made it a bit Mamma Mia, I think. Right. And it came on the on the heels of um, Bo Rap. Yeah. What do you think about Bohemian Rhapsody as a movie? That was fantastic. Yeah. That was. Two movies I think are the best rock and roll movies ever made. It was um, Cadillac Records. Right. Seen that? No, I haven't. Bohemian Rhapsody. Right. Cadillac Records is about chess. The record company has signed all the big blue stars. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic film. There's Muddy Waters, Howling Wolf. And all the guys are actors but they're singers and they're amazing. Beyonce's in it. Right. It's a brilliant film. Got to watch it. Cadillac Records. Okay, done. Um... We're doing a gig with Elton next year, the Dining Disco that you know about that we do every year. Um, is is that reparable? That your issue with Elton? Um, I don't. I, you know, I don't know. The last time I I emailed him and said, "Would you, I have this football pitch? Would you like the boys to come up and you know, because they both love football, come up and um, you don't have to come, but if mm. they want to come up and play on this, you know, they're quite welcome." He never never got back to me. So, do you ever think that would happen? Did you ever think you'd fall out with Elton? To such no, we were real close. I mean, we were very close when we both lived in Berkshire. Yeah, yeah. And he lived just around the corner. And yeah. Again, from an outside point of view, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy, eh? Yeah, it is. Life's, Sad. Life's too short? Yes, it is. Tempted to pick up the phone? Let <laughs> <laughs> me think about it. Be nice, though. Maybe now's the time. Maybe not. I don't want to speak out of turn, but, uh, you know. Um, so you said, you said in the 90s, you said, I'm not a natural songwriter. Um, and then you started writing songs again later. You are a natural songwriter. Yeah, I think I mean, I'm not, my songs, I, I can't create, how do I put it? I can't, I have to tell stories. Right. Now, all my songs have a beginning, a middle and an end. And I can't write ethereal type lyrics, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to describe, but I'm good at storytelling, I suppose. Yeah. But you, you, I mean, we came in here today and I didn't know and I was thrilled, we were both thrilled, the Frothy Coffee Man and myself, to, to witness the, the, the end of a bit of a recording session. Yeah, yeah, the, um, this is truly a, an Atlantic crossing session because all the tracks were made in Los Angeles and then my producer, who's also in my band, he comes over and we do the vocals. You know, he sends me tracks over and I'll fit a melody to them and I'll tell him what I want altered before he comes over. And then he comes over just on a, a laptop. That's all it is. It's all on a laptop. And he sits there, brings the tracks up, and I start singing. And we've got 12 tracks already all finished. So what's going to gonna happen with those? 
Well, you know, the whole world's not waiting for the next Rod Stewart album, but it has to be at the right time, hopefully next summer. I've got to tell you, according to our radio show this morning, they were. Oh, that's so good. Seriously. Here she is. Hey, oh, pretty. <laughs> Hello, honey. How are you? Sorry, I'm past my first. <laughs> right, gorgeous. Mm. How's your foot today? Um, it's just a bloody nuisance. I don't know. I think they're going to advise against going on holiday. What? I think they're going to advise oh. against. I was thinking maybe you take the boys. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all right. Don't we talk? It's all. Maybe you can go with the boys. No, but we'll talk about that later. Okay. You'll be fine. <laughs> You'll be fine. I'll let you get on. Okay. I'll have another tea if you can be bothered, but I'm not. But it doesn't. So matter. tell um, is is uh, the cooking oh, chef? Oh, okay, all right. Do you want a sandwich <laughs> or something? No, I'm all right. Thanks. You sure? Yeah, yeah. Just another tea. Okay, two teas. Milk, sugar. Uh, no, just a splash of milk. Splash of milk. Thanks. Yeah. Cheers, Pen. Um, for all those listening, that one's my dear wife. Just walked in. <laughs> she just come back. You know, she's going to be a policeman. She's going to be a policeman. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see yourself in a paper today? It's in the mail. It's, no, it's in all the papers your, and your it's, belly. it's fucking great. You know, Andrew McLean was on our show this morning. She signed a copy of her book to give to you and she says, thumbs up, brilliant. Yeah. Well done. I, I mean, I, I was so disgusted by it, but I had to do it to kind of keep me in touch. But it wasn't a beer belly. I know it's a bit menopausal as well. Yeah. But so it wasn't beer. Was it chocolate and wine or? Everything. Cakes, wine, everything. Yeah, a lot well, of well done. How did you get rid of it? Sugar, no sugar. Well, yeah, no carbs. But I did products, but I've never ever done a diet before. But right. I did products um, where you have like a shake in the morning and it's got all the vitamins and everything and it's just 200 calories. Right. Then another product at lunch and then only real dinner, real food at dinner time. Yeah. And then I and then gradually introducing it back in so I get kind of got more, a better respect for food. And but you look well in your face as well. You look, she does, you look she? fresh. Cool. Thank you very much. All right, nice to see you. Penny back from Pilates. Pilates, I think. Pilates, yeah, I think so. yeah. But she, she, um, I think about Christmas she goes out on the beat. Yeah. So the, is that for a show or is it for? No, it's, she's a genuine. She's a she's a you know like the rear guard police. They call her up if they really need her. But she's been training for a year. Wow. All you know how to mend wounds and the whole thing. She'll go out on the beat. Yep. In the middle of London. She's a godsend, isn't she? She has, you know, and I would never stop her because she wants to. She wants to give back. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's such a great person. She I, really is. She, you know, when we did the thing, the NHS auction, the frothy coffee sitting to your right, and my left. Um, we needed we needed some help. We needed some some heat. You know, we needed some some muscle. Is what we needed. Mm. We had some ourselves. But we need some more. And he emailed Penny, and she literally almost replied before he pressed send. And, yeah, we're on board. Don't care. Don't even have to know what it is. Yeah, we're on board. We're all in. Let us know what you want us to do. I mean, that's awesome, isn't it? Did all the stuff go? Yeah, oh, fucking oh, did hell, it? did it? Do it again. 1.3 million. I've got some loads of stuff. Pounds. Loads right. of watches, loads of stuff. We would love to do it again. Um, the American Songbook, period. Yeah. Right. That was a good idea, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. What, what was in that cup of coffee that morning? Well, I was good friends with Richard Perry, the well-known uh, producer. Yeah. And we've always loved these songs. I've always loved these songs because I grew up with my mum and dads used to sing them and my brothers. And we said one day, let's let's start singing them, you know. And we laid a few tracks down. Clive Davis came along, altered a few things. Bash. 
37 million albums Unbelievable. later. Unbelievable. It really is. It was a, it's a labour of love to start with. I've, in fact, a week before it came out, I was going to stop it because I thought, you're a right traitor here. Fans are going to hate this, going from a rock singer, soul singer, R&B singer to singing this stuff. Yeah. Um, but I'm so glad I did it. It was so enjoyable. And I can't wait to go on tour one day. You know, when my rock days are over, I don't know when that will be, but I'd like to do it, go out with a full orchestra. Yeah. Play some amazing venues as well. Oh, it, it lends God. itself to other kind of venues, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, like a week at the Albert Hall. Yeah, or lakes and, you know, Everything. over lakes. Yeah. Amplification yeah. off real, you yeah. know, natural water. Yeah. Like that. And also what it did, it changed as good as the rest and all that. And yeah. it came along, didn't it, at a perfect part of your career where... You know, in a way, you needed a break from what you've been doing. Yeah, exactly. Been, and then yeah. it gives you perspective, and then you get the chance to fall back in love. Yeah, I mean, that's, which is exactly what happened. It gives me goosebumps yeah. just talking. Yeah. Talk about timing. Yeah, and then I came back and started writing again. I know. You know? I know. I mean, obviously, you consider yourself blessed. Oh, yeah, beyond blessed. Beyond blessed. Yeah. But you know, the American Songbook and ideas like that, and different turns and twists in your career. You know, do you think that, I mean, they, they haven't just landed from outer space. There's been a bit of subconscious engineering going on there. There must have been. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's like my voice. You know, I, I listened to, to my voice when in the 60s. Yeah. And it was good, but it wasn't as pitch perfect, more or less, as it is now. Yeah. So you just, you just have to work at your craft. Yeah. Which is what I've done. Okay. And progress, I think, also... Because I had the uh, the throat issue, yeah, my voice lowered half a tone, yeah, and it made it more, uh, I don't know, a lot more sexier and warmer. <laughs> look a bit French. You don't sound French, but you're looking a bit French there, right? Uh, was I looking a little French uh, to do these songs on the American Songbook? <laughs> but again, you see, again, that's for good fortune because. You know, a lot of singers are forced to to take it down a tone or a semitone, aren't they? Yeah. And because you because you came down earlier, anyhow, it's it's actually protected your voice ahead of anything that might go yeah. wrong with it further. Absolutely, yeah. You know? Yeah, and you've got to look after this. You really have. Yeah. About that football pitch out there. About right. about the other love. So so hang on a minute. So family first, always. Boom. Music has to be second, doesn't it? Yeah, okay. yeah, I suppose it does. Football and uh, railways. Why <laughs> did you guess? That's amazing. i got to tell you a story. I am moving my model railroad. Yeah. Have you ever seen pictures of it? Of course I have. It's truly amazing. It's considered a masterpiece. Get your little eyes. I know. I'm moving it from, uh, from America over to here. Right. It's being torn down by a team of experts <laughs> and it's going to be flown over and I'm going to rebuild it here. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the length of this whole building and nearly the width. Well, because that's what you loved as a kid, wasn't it? Yeah, That was, was. your number one thing yeah, as yeah. a kid. And, you know, had your dad bought you that signal box, yeah. we wouldn't have Rod Stewart. We wouldn't have, no, you're absolutely right. It was it was a hobby of mine. I loved mine from... Because I was born across from the railroad tracks Yeah, in the Archway Road, yeah. Highgate, and so... Yeah, I'm moving the whole thing over. So, did you construct that yourself? Did, are you you eighty um, percent of it? You so okay. So, you you were the architect of it, weren't yeah, you? Okay. Yeah, and yeah. and how long might it take to put something like that together? It took me twenty three years. 
Oh, I was thinking like a week or two weeks or something like that, but, <laughs> but it's a pro work in progress. 23 years, and it was that, they say model railroads are never finished, but this was actually finished. Right. And that's um, when I thought, Jesus, what am I going to do now? Uh, and that is actually when I started really writing songs. So getting back to the <laughs> railway, uh, it's all coming over and it'll be, hopefully it'll be up and running just after Christmas. Right, and rock and roll has previous with layouts. It does? Yeah, Jules Holland's got one. Oh, Jules, yeah. yeah. Me, me and Jules keep in touch with each other, yeah. Right. His, his, his has got a nice layout, but it's nowhere near like mine, as good as mine. But his is more um, <laughs> his is more British, isn't it? Yeah, his is all British. No, his is really good. He's yeah. very good and he loves it. Because uh, I, I went to his studio once, um, uh, which is fashioned the studio itself like a train station have you been to a studio? no right. he hasn't invited me down yet so it's in blackheath and um so it you think you're going to an old train station right and it's next to a path that looks like there may have been tracks Traps. there right and he says that people walk past older people with younger people saying oh i remember when there was a track here because they can see this station which is Jules' yeah, studio exactly, yeah. and he said fucking lies there was never a train track here it never was no they're just making it up so does the building look like it was a station no he's made he's fashioned he's it like fashioned a station because oh, he loves it oh bless him That's it. he's a good lad i love him i've got to get him to play on my new album i'm sure he would yeah because he by the way how's lockdown affecting Jules? Jules lives on the road yeah Oh, like, we're, all, we're all suffering, but he's got his railroad. Yeah, he's got... But, so he's lucky. Okay, would you... When would you call him to play on your new album? Uh, when I find the tracks, I promised I'd do this show for him in April to raise money at the Arbor Hall, and I said, I'd, if you know, I'd be on his New Year's Eve show. Right. So that'd be something to look forward to. The Hootenanny. Exactly, yeah. Okay, music on telly quickly. Um, who, do you follow his show? Do you... Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah I love it. Are you a student of new music? Are you keeping... I can't say I am. Right. No, I can't say I am. I listen to what the kids listen to, but... Uh... And what are the... Because you're... I mean, I've, see, I've seen members of your family playing the piano. You've been singing along with them. Yeah, yeah. You know, does, does, the, does, the, does the Stuart gr music groove run deep? Ruby's the only one at the moment that's, that's gone into music. Right. Ruby Stewart. She's... Um... She was in a band called Sisterhood, got signed up, did country stuff. Now she's found a boyfriend she's madly in love, so she's eased off the music side of it. Over in the States? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Rod, you just mentioned you met Jimi Hendrix there, right? Give us, give, us, give us a bit of that. Give us a bit of, you know, stuck in a bar with, you know, bumped into, you know, I bumped into you in a lift once in, I think it was in Chicago, and I, I was it making... Was. Yeah. I was making a film with the Rolling Stones That's at the time. Yeah. Um, Steven Tyler was was in... I met him on the stairs and I bumped into you in the lift. Yeah. That was a bit of a night for me, I've got to be honest. And then when all the filming was over, um, I thought, fuck it, I'm going to the bar for a drink if it's still open. And I went down to the bar and the only other person at the bar was Mick Jagger having a sneaky glass of wine on his own in a blue... We were all in the hotel together, yeah. all of us at the same time. I think we were. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure we were. Yeah. I'd have known if Old Mother Jagger was there. Well, you, well, he was he was definitely there, and I saw you in that hotel. I know that hotel's gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah, stunning, stunning. beautiful bar. That was a great night for me. Tell tell us about tell us about bumping the Jimi Hendrix thing. Give us a bit of Beatles. Give us whatever you want. Well, it was so brief. We were with the Jeff Beck group, and we were doing uh, a festival, and we just met and had a chat in you know outside the dressing room, you know. 
and we talked about how he was with Sam Cooke yep. and how much I love Sam Cooke. Um, he's, your, he's your go-to man, Sam Cooke, isn't he? Sam Cooke and David Ruffin. David Ruffin was the leader of The Temptations, singer of The Temptations, who did My Girl Ain't Too Proud to Beg. And he lived in Detroit and every time The Faces played Detroit, he would come and see us and he'd come up and do Losing You which was on one of my albums, which was a Thames song. And I remember we had a good picture taken and I couldn't understand why I would lose my voice and he never did. He was known for the guy to never cancel a show because of his voice. And there's this wonderful picture of me looking down his throat and then I've got another picture of him ah, looking down my throat. <laughs> it's beautiful. David Ruffin. But so, Henry, so Hendrix backstage at a festival, you know, I, I know what it's like backstage at festivals. Um, was he just a, a normal... A normal guy backstage. No, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. I don't know whether it was, what he was on or what, or you know, where did where did Jimmy come from? Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, where know. was he born? I've no idea. I didn't quite understand what the fuck he was talking about. I wish I had. I've actually just bought a, a, a biography about him called Wild Things. So I'll get back to you on that one. Most of my joyous moments that I remember have been about really meeting footballers. You know, I, I met um, two of my idols, Billy Bremner. Yeah. And Dennis Law, right. right? Dennis Law, when I was playing football, we used to model myself on him because yeah, yeah. we, we look a little bit alike. You don't look dissimilar, it's got to yeah. be said. So the, my agent said, uh, listen, the Leeds are playing Manchester United, do you want to come at Old Trafford? I said, yeah. And I said, I'll try and get you downstairs, meet the two of them. So uh, I think Bremner got pulled off because he was injured playing for Leeds and Dennis Law got pulled off because he got a red card or something. So I went down to meet him and they have turned the corner and they're both at the end of the corridor talking to each other. One had a fag on because they both played for Scotland. One had a fag on and the other one was standing there stark naked with his knob hanging out. <laughs> so imagine me coming round the corner, only 26, and looking at my two idols. I didn't know you were supposed to smoke when you were a footballer or stand in the corridor with your knob hanging out because they're both been in the showers. Yeah. So I went up and said hello to them. But it was a quite a bizarre moment, you know. Greatest footballer you ever saw play? Oi, 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 that's, that's, a, that's a good one. I've I got to go for my old mate George Best. It's got to be, hasn't it? Yeah, Georgie, what a lovely, lovely man. Much misunderstood. Yeah, absolutely. Speak to that for a minute, yeah. if you don't mind. Um, well, he was foolish. There's no doubt about it. He could have had a much longer career. And he had huge troubles with alcohol. Um, I think if Ferguson had been manager of Manchester United then, would have straightened him out. But a lovely, lovely man. I've got loads of pictures of me and him playing football together because he was playing out in Los Angeles yeah. when I was still playing for my team. He'd invite me down to training for the, what were they called, the Los Angeles Lumberjacks. I don't no, know, I've forgotten. Called? What were they called? They, were, they, so called? they were really famous, weren't they? Yeah, they had Rodney Marsh was playing out there. Oh. And, and then... Uh, um, Some of the European players went yeah, there. Yeah, the, the Cosmos in New York in LA was the... Anyway, I've got some great pictures of training with him and going, going drinking. It's funny because I used to play pool with him in the pub in Walton Street. I can't remember, the Feeney, the Feeney yeah, Arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Feeney Arms? The Fenian? The Fenian, yeah. And the, yeah, the Catholic, pool. it means Catholic, you know that. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. Yeah. You would know that. First um, time I went to a Celtic Rangers match, I got out of the car, the guy said, you Fenian bastard, Stuart, because <laughs> it means Catholic. You right. Know, Celtic are a predominantly Catholic team. But I used to play pool with, and anybody could. You know, if George was upstairs, you know, he, and he'd drink with anyone. 
Mm. as most alcoholics would yeah and he'd play pool with anyone you know and it was just anywhere but home i suppose you know yeah. i mean did, did you because they talked about him didn't they they talked about him and bobby moore and the, they said the difference between him and bobby moore was the fact that bobby um used to bobby was a big drinker you would know this better than mm. i would um and the thing about bobby is he was clever so very very clever and so he would always drink halves of lager so if there was a a pap around you know he'd only have a half a lager and yeah. big drinkers don't drink half a lager, but, but he just drank loads of them, yeah. you know, and then he had a Mark II Jag and um, he, you know, he had a chauffeur's hat. He always wore a suit and tie. Mm. So he always looked the business and he had a chauffeur's hat. And so if he was going out, he would put the chauffeur's hat on. So everybody thought he was a chauffeur because chauffeurs don't drink, do they? You know, you had little, <laughs> little things like that going what on. What a great idea. Well, I think, you know, and, and um, I suppose George was the polar opposite. Yeah. And, you know, not dissimilar to Gaza, to be honest, because... Yeah, he's a worry, because you're mates with Paul, aren't you? I was. I've not talked to him for ages. Mm. The last time I had any contact with him... Did was... we all go out to Italy and play once? Do you remember that? <laughs> I do remember that. Under Claudio yeah. Ranieri. That's right, yeah. He was our, he was our manager. Yeah. And with... We were all singing, going to the game, weren't we? With Mick Hucknall. And we had, um, we had some police outriders. That's and right. we felt like kings of the fucking yeah. world. We were singing that World English World Cup song. What was it? I don't know, it's like the Dan Busters or something. Yeah, that was a fabulous day. Yeah, I, I came on and just kicked off because I'd had a dodgy knee know, and stayed on too long and came off crippled. He was he's the famous um uh, brilliant centre forward, Joe Jordan. He wasn't playing. He was there though, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Oh yeah, because he was he was uh, out in Italy at that yeah, time. Yeah, so he, he was with us, right? But, uh, and he said to me. He said to me, he said, because um, it was really hot that night. In his, yeah, it was, yeah. And he says, um, he says, fucking hydrate, make sure you hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Yeah. He said, because he, he said, I said, well, I'm not, I'm not really that, you know, I'm not really all that. Don't worry about it. I probably won't get on. He said, he said no, but seriously, just hydrate. So I'm in the dugout and he, he kept saying to me, all the, he said, how many bottles of water you had? I said, two. He said, have another one, have another one, have another one. And I'd had about five and I didn't get on. And all I was doing the whole... Having a piss. Fucking no, because I wasn't allowed out of the dugout. So I was bursting for a pee the whole night, you know, and Mick Hucknall was on there and I can't remember who else were on there. It was a good night out though, wasn't it? Yeah, we had, that, we had the little Italian player that played for Celtic and West Ham. Um, oh, God. Paolo Ducani, Paolo Di Paolo Ducani. Yeah. And boy, he stroked... Because we had the training session with him. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. And he passed the ball to me and he could pass it different ways yeah. with different spin on the ball, yeah. like a like a golfer, like, you know, or a, or a, or a sneaker, on sneaker player. Yeah, yeah. And, you know... It was like, oh, this is how professional yeah, football done, is. Yeah, Are you, have you experienced that before? Yeah, oh, yeah, many times. I mean, when you play, when you see a pro player just kick the ball, yeah, yeah. you can say, oh, my God, I wish I could do it like that with that sort of accuracy. Yeah. Oh. When, when Gaza went to Middlesbrough, right, so so he went to Middlesbrough um, and, uh, you know, he was, he was, well, it was, it was past his best, but he was still very, very, very good, Pr pretty much better than the rest of the world put together still. Um, but he was really struggling at Middlesbrough, so so all these assists weren't coming off. And I said to him after, well, you know, what, what, are you all right? What's that about? He said, no, no. He said, I'm I'm passing to players I that I see it. that I used to play with, yeah, yeah, but yeah. aren't on the pitch. Yeah. So it made his passes look terrible. Yeah, yeah. I totally know what he's talking. Do you know about. what I mean? Yeah, totally know. You've seen that before? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because he's Cardinal Simmons playing for the other half of Glasgow. 
Yeah, of course it was. Course he it was. did the flute thing against. I know, Celtic. I know, I know. You know what that means? Yeah, of course you? I do. Yeah. I was I was around at the time. I, I had a game of one kick with him. Yeah, what's that? Uh, I, well, you, you remember when you were kids, you had one kick. Yeah. So you one on one, one yeah. one kick. That's it. Yeah. And we played that. We played that on the pitch at Ibrox. Did you really? <laughs> oh. And uh, he got he got them to put the Simpsons on the big screen for me because he thought I liked the Simpsons <laughs> and I didn't have the heart to say that I thought they were all right the Simpsons. But, <laughs> but the thing about Bob about um, Paul about Paul Gascoigne and George Best is they found football not so easy but it came so naturally. It's just it was just real life that was that was the, the the struggle, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know what, what players they were. Oh my, unbelievable. How is Paul? I watched his documentary the other day. Yeah, I haven't quite seen informative. I haven't seen him for ages. The, the the last time we had any contact was when we had a whip round uh, to try and to get him out to Arizona. Do you remember that? Yeah. And we yeah. sent him out there, but but to no avail. I mean, I don't know what you do. Have you, you have you had friends in a, in similar situations? Because they say, you know, you can't help somebody who needs to get into recovery unless they, they want to go. They want to yeah. go. Ronnie Ronnie Wood was the only one I was really concerned about. Um, but he found a wonderful woman with Sally and she straightened him out straight away. Right. And he hasn't had a drink or a, still smokes a lot, but he hasn't had a drink or no drugs. And he's just as funny as he always was. Yeah. Just not, as humorous, just as lively, without the drugs and there's no nasty side to him. Yeah, if not funnier. Funnier, yeah, yeah. We, we have the two to four pint rule. Do you know that What's one? That? No. Because um, you still drink pints, don't you? No. You, uh, you, I can't keep them down. Okay, but you, okay, you used to have a pint at the pub, though, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I'd be able to drive six, seven pints at one time, yeah, not yeah. more. So, so the t t you'll have it with something else. So the two to four pint rule is, you know, after two and up to four, you're fucking hilarious. But either side of that, you're warming up, and on the other side, you're <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Do you get that? Yeah, I get it entirely, yeah. <laughs> the zone. yeah. I, I never, as far as I know, I've never got nasty when I've when I've been. Drunk. No, it's not about nasty. It's just like you know, functional. Yeah. What's yeah. the long? What, what's the long? What's the longest you've been out for? What? Not drinking? No, no, the, no. The longest you've been out for? Oh, what you mean days? Yeah. No, I've never done that, and I never believe people that have supposed to have done it. I remember one story. Um, you haven't, <laughs> right? See, I was always an athlete, but there's one story I've got to tell you. It was. Uh, uh, with uh, all down Tramp, me, Keith Moon, Bianca Jagger and a few others, right? We're all in Tramp and there's a party going on. So we all get in our cars and we go to this party. That party's okay. We're all doing a business. And then, of course, the dreaded sun came up and I can't have that. Right. Once the sun comes up, I've got to go to bed. So Keith Moon, we're all there, be about ten of us, ready to go to wherever. What should we do now? Mooney said, let's wait till the pub's open at ten o'clock. I said, no, Keith, I've, I've got to go, mate. I'm sorry, I've had it. I can't have this. Oh, then fuck off, you wanker, Stuart. <laughs> Call me a wanker because I went home early at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, Bianca was with us. I know, it was a whole team. Just, just speak to that for a sec. So the first time you saw Jagger, that, ch that changed your attitude to everything, didn't it? The first time you saw him performing in front of a Oh, mic. yeah, when I was young, yeah, yeah. Just seeing the Stones. You know, I went down there and uh, there was just... 12, 13 people in the audience. Right. You know, we were all around the front of the stage and they came on, they all sat on little stools, like little stools like that and played. London? And they, they all play Island. Oh, really? Of course. Yeah, yeah, they were amazing. Yeah. So within a couple of weeks, the place was packed, mm. absolutely packed. And I remember standing at the bar and Mick was singing. He didn't move much in those days. And I thought, Jesus, if he can do this, I can do this. So he was an inspiration. 
and he's he's still uh, still a great guy. It's funny you see pictures. I saw a black and white of him yesterday. I can't remember who he's with. Um, some beautiful black black and white pics of of Mick Jagger when he was younger, and he he looks otherworldly. He looks mm. so beautiful. Yeah, you know he's almost androgynous. Oh, he's, he's not that good. <laughs> I was quite a beauty in my day, you know. Yeah. Well, I I still would. Yeah, I still would with yours. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, Keith Moon, you keep mentioning names, right? Do, do, did Keith Moon, were you aware of the Keith Moon period where he was so in love with Steve McQueen, he bought the house next door to him in Hollywood? No, I didn't know that one. Oh, it's a great story. No, so, because he wanted to be Steve McQueen. Yeah. So he buys he buys the house next door to Steve McQueen. McQueen's still alive. Yeah, of course he is. Yeah. So he's like, he's like, he's like, um, I couldn't, it's like a like cease and desist order. Yeah, totally. And um, I think Steve McQueen wanted nothing to do with this fucking crazy person who apparently was in a band from Great Britain. And I think he bought a bigger gun or something like that. <laughs> yeah, and, and Keith Moon was devastated. I think he just sold up and just said, "Well, that's that." He wanted uh, to be his best friend. That's a story I haven't heard. That one, mate. That's brilliant. Absolutely. Did, I mean, did you ever feel like? Did you? Did you ever want to? Were you in the company? Anybody? And you said, "I just want. I just please be my friend secretly." You know. No, but I've been in company of of nearly everybody you can name in Hollywood. Because when I first my first marriage there was a woman called Lana Hamilton yeah. who was married to George Hamilton, yeah. so she would throw parties at the the house, and I tell you, everybody would show up from Tony. I remember dancing. I was in my book. With Tony Curtis at six o'clock in the morning with everyone gone home, Tony and I decided to just um, to, to dance with a couple of pool chairs like that and still kept the party going. <laughs> <laughs> no one was there but him, me and him dancing with... Everybody was at the house from Barbara Streisand, Hugh Hefner. Everybody came to the house for pies. And with the, was the archetypal goldfish bowl of class A drugs, was, did you see the goldfish bowl? Did you see? Yeah, but, it, it, you know, Chris, it was different in those days, you know. The, it was a closed circuit of people. Trust. Really at the top of their professions. Yeah. I could name so many people that everyone was doing it. Yeah. And it was pure. Yeah. It was pure cocaine. You saw one little hit. That's all you wanted. Yeah. You weren't in the bathroom every 10 minutes going, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that was it. And you'd sleep, you know, and yeah, this was all be before anybody was doing it. And, you know, one little gram would, would last for ages. Who was, stuff. who was the craziest motherfucker you ever met? Oh, God. Oh, I'd need to, I've, met, I've met so many. I'd have to think about that. But when you talk about the, the Keith Moons, I mean, they, they, were, they were gentle Weren't they? Yeah. In real life, they were just yeah. beautiful people. Yeah, yeah, great, great characters, and you know they broke the mold with Keith. Nothing, nothing like him. He's it, it was totally different. It's not like now where you get lawyers and bank every Tom, Dick, and Harry's doing cocaine. In those days, it was totally unknown. I'm talking about from you know seventy nine, eighty through then. What's, what's the what's the most legendary build? Because you talked about a festival with Hendrix in America. I mean, they you know that they wrote they, they wrote the playbook on yeah. festivals. Yeah. What's what's the most like legendary lineup that would just blow our socks off if you could bring um, them back today? Well, we was we was always top of the bill with the faces, and I can't think of anybody that was absolutely sensational underneath us. Right. I can't think of it. But you know, like Big Sir and all that. Did you Woodstock and all that? Did you go? No, and... to Woodstock we were supposed to do it with the Jeff Beck group. 
But Jeff decided that he thought someone was having it off. The gardener was having it off with his old lady, and he flew home the day before. Oh no! So we we didn't get to do it. So what did you do instead? Me and Ronnie went down to the bar. And got the next <laughs> flight back to London. Is it is it true that you you had an issue looking Jeff back in the eye for a while? Jeff and I have a wonderful, and I hope, you know, I'm not speaking for him, but I hope I am, an admiration for each other. Um, but we we were never the best of friends. I think he was always envious of the friendship that, that Ronnie and I had. We just did a concert at the Hollywood Bowl. Just, blimey, it was last, well into last year. We did two nights at Hollywood Bowl and Jeff was the guest. And it was really good. It really was good. Because, I mean, is, is he, because there's Jeff Beck, there's Eric Clapton, Stevie Ray Vaughan is mentioned a lot. Jimi Hendrix is mentioned a lot. Who, who do you have, can you can you call out a best guitarist? Or? Well, Woody's always going to be the best guitar player for me. Right. Uh, it suited my music, um, and because we wrote songs together, um, and I, yeah, he's always going to be the best. Yeah. Okay. Jeff Beck is up there as well. But but again, you know, because Sunset Marquee, you bet you've had some nights there, haven't you? Yeah, it was one of my favourite hangouts. I did the video for um, Tonight I'm Yours there. and We had uh, about 10, 15 models all around the pool, all in bikinis, and they were pushing us in, and then it was just the best night. And then my wife showed up, killed it stone dead. Which one? Alana. Because Jeff had a... Well, he didn't have a studio down there, but there was a very famous studio down there, and he recorded lots of his songs in the, yeah. in the basement. Of, yeah. Uh, Sunset I didn't Day. know that. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. So um, looking out from this, this gym of yours, which is beautiful, um, we can, I can see a football pitch. Now, this is a relatively new house for you, isn't it? Yeah, we've been here f four years. Right, because your old house... We've only moved in two years ago, but it was two years. This was a cow shed. Right, because your so, old house had that fa famous football pitch, didn't it? Yeah, that was beautiful. So who... who oh. Tell us about that. Tell us about that pitch. Um... Well, I actually did that without planning permission, but it was a full-size pitch, size of Wembley, had its own irrigation system. I had two gardens looking after it. We used to play on it every Sunday, and pre-season we'd have Celtic come down and train on it, Liverpool have come down and train on it, Newcastle have trained on it, Huddersfield have trained on it. So I used to have all the pro teams come down, but when Celtic came down, Gordon Strachan was the manager. I was like a little schoolboy. Penny says, they're here, go and meet them. No, I don't want to. <laughs> I was all like nervous. <laughs> it's the, it's about, the tea lady. Talking about the time. Uh, our, our chef's still really I'm looking forward to ser serving a, a lovely lunch. But S sorry about it. I've got cats still around. Well, thank you very much. Pen, do you remember when Celtic came down the house and I wouldn't go out to meet him because well, I was so shy? Thanks very much. Stuart's got twins. Yay! Fairly twin father. Yeah, two. Two. Yeah. How old? Three. Three. How much fun is it? It's exhausting. It's the most fun in the world. And brilliant fun. Yeah. My favourite bit is in the playground when they both go in separate directions and there's only me there and one goes up the climbing frame. Yeah. And, and you know, one of them's going to die. Just, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> you're going to stomachly <laughs> sore. It's like, which one? Which one? You know. Yesterday, yeah. Wet wellies, wet climbing frame, opposite directions. Yeah. I'm out too old for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Zonal marking is required, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Thanks so much. This is your uncle Chris. Yeah, but I remember Rod. Um, 
uh, I said, but I've done it, they've all arrived, and he's up in the bedroom, I'm like, are you going to come down? He went, yeah, yeah, in a minute, in a minute, and he was still, and I'm calling up, honey, they're making their way to the football page, he went, shh, I'm <laughs> so nervous. And then he was like, well, I've on, and the curtains, curtains were twitching, and he's looking out, I said, come and get pictures, he went, stop it, I'm not coming out, what's wrong with you? It's football, is in their 20s. Yeah, yeah. To go up for a scan, yeah. He finally came down to the pitch and he was still sat up on the hill from looking at like, yeah. from a distance. And then, if it's excuse, <coughs> I've got to go with Penny to the to get scan done. That was was that for Alistair? Yeah, Alistair, yes, who's 15 next month. Wow, 15 years ago. I know, doesn't time fly yeah. eh? in yeah. a heartbeat? I can't have them, but you this is all very impressive. This is like <laughs> this is. Yeah, this is like afternoon tea with Bill, the stewards. Bill, one in here, mate, while we're just having a... Yeah, OK, Carl. Boiler? Yeah, I'd love to. Honestly, All I just right. want Tash to come and time. a cup of tea? Blah, blah, blah. Want a biscuit or something? No, fine. You sure? Take the dog's pen. Are you stopping for three minutes? No, we'll, we'll plough through. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so Celtic come and the other teams come, uh, Liverpool uh, and many other teams. Did, did, they, did they come because it was your pitch? Because there are other pitches to practice on pre-season or not. Like... Yeah, I, I think it's because they... I think with Liverpool and Kenny Dalglish was in charge of right. them, I think it's because they had a pre-season uh, game with maybe Tottenham, I don't know, somebody oh, right. who wanted so... to use it in the afternoon to get themselves... And fit. a bit of fun because it's your pitch. Fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and so it's so funny that you're nervous. Had you met Strachan before? Oh, Gordon, I've known for all my oh, life. Oh, right, I was yeah, going to say. Yeah, yeah, But it's just, I don't know. I mean, no one made me nervous. I've met everybody from Jimi Hendrix to the Queen and everybody. But footballers, because you hold them in such high regard and yeah. you want them to do well, they're, they're, they're your heroes, you know, yeah, even though they're so young. I was going to say, and you, you have, you know, far, far less idea of what it makes... What makes them tick than maybe even Hendrix? But of course, you know, I've, I know you've had this conversation a thousand times before, but you were quite good at football, weren't you? Yeah, I, yes, I was. No, no, I wasn't. I was kidding myself. I had a trial down at Brentford and they never called me back. Yeah. So, but I've enjoyed every minute of it. I mean, I've missed it so much, you know, Sunday after Sunday morning football and yeah, used to yeah. play in Los Angeles. Yeah. And that's why I've got a knee replacement now and an ankle fusion, right. playing on these awful pitches in Los Angeles because they're all bone dry and yeah. so they, uh, I wouldn't change a thing. Let's just talk about the fact that you are, I, and I, I think you're quite serious about this, you'll be prepared to become a, a part-time um, semi-pro reporter at Talk Sports to get into the Celtic games. Yeah, I, I can't see it happening. I'd love to do it. Are you really. serious? <laughs> oh, even with this disability, I'll get myself up there. I'll get myself a little jet and go up there. I would love to. So, so how did this story come about? Um, I was I, I, I go on Talk Sport a lot, especially yeah. when someone, you know, criticises Celtic. I'm right on the phone. Right. And Jim White's a good mate of mine. Yeah. Uh, so they, I said, well, are you going to go to the old firm? And I said, no, you're not allowed. Well, what if you come up and commentate for a few minutes? I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. I'll give me right arm to be up there. But there's no chance of that happening. That would be... I, there's two ways of looking at it. it. I don't want to feel like I'm the privileged one. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just a supporter. Yeah. You know, that's basically what I am, a famous supporter. Yeah, and it could go both ways. But it yeah. would be fun. People would love it, though. We all need yeah. a bit of a laugh, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Maybe. You've taken bigger chances in your career. That's true. I, I, I'll do it if they ask, if I get permission. Right, tell us about the little hoops. Um, the little hoops are all ten under 10s. And my son, I formed the team for my little boy. 
Um, the other one, the 14-year-old, he plays in a in a pretty good league. He's got his own team, but they all uh, they're sponsored by Celtic. They uh, we have all the shirts, socks, everything. Yeah, so and they just warms the cockles of my heart every time I see them come out in their little green and white tops, especially when we're away from home. You know, and I can say, what what field are they on? <laughs> oh, the right. You can see them a mile off. You yeah, know, it's yeah. such an outstanding outfit. By the way, how cold can some of those fields get? Oh my god! <laughs> oh, 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 oh. But uh, you don't notice it when you're playing, I suppose. No, not when you're playing, but when your mum and dad. When your mum and dad. Yes, yeah. It's fucking freezing. Yeah. You know. I'm just in the middle of writing a song. Uh, nearly finished called Touchline. Right. <laughs> how my dad used to be on the touchline watching me. Right. And I'm watching my kids on the touchline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully their their fathers will be on the touchline. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's 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 part of the game. Seeing your dad on the touchline, pouring rain, fag in his mouth, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, touchline. But it's funny, isn't it? Because because the, the field, some of the fields are massive, aren't they? Because they've got like eight, nine, ten pitches. Yeah. Right? And yeah. you think, hang on a minute. I mean, Berkshire, it can't be this cold. Yeah, <laughs> it is cold. Um, in golf, right, there's a thing called a three-club three challenge. And you, what you do is you pick your favourite three clubs and they say that many, many people will score... I can't play golf. No, I know that. Oh, because I thought you saw the golf clubs out there. They're my boys. No, I didn't see that. Didn't they see can that. play, yeah. Okay, well... They, they do say that if you, many golfers, many amateur golfers, if they take three their three favourite clubs out and if they go around, you know, they're the home course or whatever course, they'll probably score better than if they take a full set out, right? And so people pick their three favourite clubs. What, if you, had to, if you had to go up against the rest of rock and roll with three of your songs, which three songs would you take out of your back? <sighs> okay. I think uh, The Killing of Georgie, because it was a song about a black homosexual that was a mate of the faces in New York, New York who got murdered. Uh, and it was so before its time, I'm, I'm still very proud of it. Um, I love You're In My Heart because there's not many songs where you're talking about someone you're in love with by the same time you're talking about the football team you love. So that's two. <laughs> and the third one would be, I think you wear it well. Right. That's what I'm really proud of. Yeah. So cool. They're my three clubs. So cool. So cool. And um, they'd be pretty stiff competition for most other people, I would imagine. So what do you think is going to happen? With? Everything. As far as I'm concerned and what I do, I don't think there's going to be any concerts with huge crowds, nor football, next year. I think we're struggling. We seem to go and be backwards, going backwards, you know, one step forward and two steps back. Um, the vaccine will help, but people are so anti-vaccine, everyone's frightened. I don't know. I wish I did. It's the billion-dollar question. It's funny, isn't it? Because my my mum and dad were in the war. You you were around just on the. Oh, I heard a lot about it from your brothers and sisters. I was going to say, oh, yeah, yeah. And because you know, if we think about what we're being asked to do now, in comparison to then, you know, when just let's take the 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 food rationing aspect of being around the Second World War, and for many years after that, you must you must remember ration books and things. Oh my yeah, God! Like it was yesterday. I remember being carried up to to the store by my sister. 
And the orange juice we used to get was congealed orange juice in a little tiny bottle like that. And I remember taking the stamp out and giving it to her. My, 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 my mum, my sister, who's 91, bless her Mary, I've just bought her a new house. It's like a lease <laughs> of life for her. She said, the difference between this COVID and the Second World War, she said when the air raids were finished and the siren would go off, everybody would go out in the streets and go to the pub if it was still standing yeah. and go to the theatre if it was still standing. Yeah. With this, you can't. No, you just can't. We're going to go into another lockdown again. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, because, you know, because rationing was one thing people had to do in the war, it was just one thing and they had to grow vegetables in their garden and things like that. I think mm. 95% of Americans grew their own food for like five or six years mm. or something crazy like that. You know, you'd think it was harder then, but you're right because that's the first time I've heard that perspective and it can only come from somebody who went through that and went is going through, through this. Yeah. You know, no, no, you don't understand. It wasn't five or six years of, of, of enduring hell. It was hell when it happened, but we were so glad to be around the day after it had, if we managed to survive, it was party time because you literally, you literally partied like it was the last yeah, day. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I would say the, having the Germans on your doorstep, the Nazis on your doorstep, and the threat of them invading your country mm. is a billion times scarier than COVID. Yeah. But in a way, this is a billion times weirder. Because, yeah. because there's no there's nothing to fight. There's no, I don't know, there's no silver bullet, as it no. were. I think the good Lord's intent on wiping us all out because we've spoilt the earth. We've spoilt it. I think it's too late to turn back now. I think global warming is going to spoil the earth. I think we literally, I believe, we're too late. Blimey. So uh -huh. we, we need rock and roll more than ever. <laughs> yeah, we do. And that with that prick in the White House pulling out of the Paris Accord, it's terrible. If you could choose your first gig back when you're allowed to gig properly again, I mean, you you could actually be, think about doing your dream gig, couldn't you now? And say, look, I don't know when it's going to be, but I know what it's going to be. What might that, how might that look? Oh, I don't know. I think there's so many cities that I enjoy playing. You know, I love Dublin, I love Glasgow, I love London. But um, So I, don't, I wouldn't want to pick a city. But, uh, you know, what I'd love to do. Tell me. I have 54 acres here and I have one field right over the back and every time me and Penny go over there, we go, this is going to be a great, this will be great for a, for a festival. It's perfect. And that's what I'd love to do. We talked about it this morning because we played 90 Minutes of Music. The fucking reaction was unbelievable. And... Um, they said, oh, I didn't realise I'm a Closet Rod Stewart fan. And I said, there's not enough closets in the world for all the Closet Rod Stewart fans. <laughs> oh, bless. And, um, and then we talked about Rodfest because um, it, it would just have to happen. And it, w would you seriously consider doing it here? Oh, yes. Yeah. But Penny and I go over that field, take the dogs there. It's perfect. Well. You get, you get 50,000 in there easy. That would be amazing. Yeah, and it's a considerable way away from me. And would that be a, a, an annual thing or a... Oh, if we did it once, I'd be happy. I'd go to my grave a happy man. All right. Okay. Well, I think you will anyway. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, I just farted. <laughs> you hear that? Yeah. God. And yeah. on that bombshell... <laughs> thanks, Rod. All right. I can't believe I just <laughs> Okay. How cool is he? How cool is he? I mean, come on. How cool is that man? He's 76. He's four years from being 80 years old. 
and he continues to be cooler than ice and nicer than pie and more affable than your favourite uncle, which is where the word avuncular comes from, which means really, really friendly, but he's more friendly than that because he is Rod Stewart, my friends. He's a national treasure. He's to be trusted. He has never let us down. Not dissimilar to Marks and Spencer's M&S. Proud sponsors with their plant kitchen of this very podcast. And I bet Rod would love, but I didn't ask him, actually. I should have taken him some. Plant Kitchen's No Chicken Kiev. No Chicken Kiev is the most popular vegan launch ever, with one being sold still every four minutes. M&S vegan Kievs are filled with an indulgent garlic filling and coated in golden breadcrumbs. They come out of the oven. Let me tell you this. They come out of the oven. There they are, sitting proud as punch, confident in the fact that you are going to love them. The kids are going to simply squeal with excitement or your money back. OK, forget the your money back thing, but trust me, they are to die for. I mean, they won't make you die, but they are to die for. It's a phrase, OK? M&S Plant Kitchen are the proud sponsors of How to Wow, and we're very proud to have them on board. Please rate and subscribe. Goodbye.